0: And just leave it alone. The whole idea of just, just contribute. Don't change your allocations all the time. Don't rebalance all the time and kind of stick to the, to your guns. And I think you can out, out obviously outlive a, you know, a down cycle as well by doing that. So I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, a lot of people like to dibble and dabble on individual stocks and I'm, I'm an ETF and mutual fund guy for sure. If you do it right and you do it strategically, and this is probably where I'll bring in an advisor. That really is specific to tax. I mean, it's one thing to make a lot of money, but it's more important to keep it so legally.
1: Welcome, millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, the show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Inveiled Podcast. This is episode number 340. Stace, are you staying warm?
2: It is freezing. It is actually below freezing here in Texas. And I, although I hate how hot it gets in the summer, I'd be happy with like a 95 cap, you know? It is, I think, 16 degrees outside or 19 degrees outside and... I am kind of looking forward to summer. It had me feeling that a little bit a moment ago when I was taking out the trash.
1: Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a I don't know, bait and switch, right? I was golfing a few days ago, shorts, t-shirt, sunny, and then all of a sudden it's like we got to throw the parkas on. We got to worry about pipes and stuff that I grew up doing. In some respects, MLK Day, which by the way we just celebrated yesterday, but. I always like had fond memories of playing in the ice and the snow on that middle of January day. I didn't think that that was going to be the case for my kids in Texas, but here we are several years in a row. Granted, it usually happens the last week of January, first week of February, and we've usually tried to time it and leave. But, uh, this year it came a little early. So at any rate, I don't know much of the country is under severe cold temperatures. Hopefully everybody's staying warm and, and uh, staying safe out there. If you'd like to be on the show, send us an email, gmail.com. Got several slots open for uh, 2024. We're scheduling out into February and March. So, love to have you. If you haven't heard your story, or if, uh, I don't know, we had a few people write in. They said, like, you had a chiropractor way back when, which I do remember now, but, you know, sometimes we need to have refreshers on certain professions and stuff. And uh, I did get a, an interesting email from a listener and they wanted to suggest to have more information in the guest profiles and wanted more than just first names and stuff. And and I appreciate that. And of course, I'd love to disclose more and have more and all that kind of stuff and the titles and descriptions. But there's several reasons the, that we do things the way that we do. And part of that is to... Continue to encourage those that are willing to come on the show that there is still some sort of privacy and, uh, you know, even though they are unveiling themselves, at least through the mic, uh, you know, that we don't disclose locations and last names and things that they could easily be found by. And in some cases, our guests are fine with it and they don't care. Uh, but to maintain some consistency, that's just how we've approached it. And so, some cases guests may, you know, disclose their last name or their location or their state or whatever, and that's completely up to them. Uh, that's not something that that we try to kind of participate in. We've kind of done that from the very beginning. That was some Clark and I, from a decision standpoint, did and have kept it. And I think, um, you know, to conceal identity and and keep or keep many of our guests anonymous. Uh, It's worked out pretty nicely, and I think we've had quite a few of our guests be willing to come on the show because of it. So at any rate, uh, appreciate the note, and uh, it is noted, but uh, we're going to keep things kind of the way they've been for forever.
2: And oftentimes if we do have a guest who has some sort of a platform um that they want to be contacted, we we will call that out. Uh usually at the end of the show we'll ask, you know, where where they can be contacted or reached or or followed. So we do try to call that out if it is something that they certainly are wanting. Yeah. Thanks always for the suggestions.
1: Yeah, and another thing to note, we had an overwhelming response to doing some sort of meetup. So uh it's gonna be in the fall. We're gonna figure it out and pretty soon i will announce the date on that but it is i've heard everybody loud and clear that we need to do something so we're gonna put it together and uh make it happen over a weekend in the fall probably early november is kind of what i'm thinking so tbd on that but we'll make a decision soon get on the calendar get things situated so people can make plans that want to attend and uh, yeah we'll try to see how it goes but i'm excited Uh, about that actually after i got i don't know how many emails about it so today we have brian His net worth 1.8 million he didn't really get his start till he was 40 which we get into so a lot of this has been done which we've seen with many of our our millionaires is done in less than a decade Uh, in particular for him i think he said his net worth was two hundred thousand dollars and got up to 1.8 in a matter of about eight years and uh yeah i mean he's got quite the spread between asset classes uh, home equity and retirement accounts, uh, and even some kind of angel type investments that he's done, which is pretty unique in the platform that he's uh, been using to do that, and uh, various other investments. So, going to be a great interview with Brian. Really stoked for for Eddie's in enterprise set software sales, uh, which I think we've only had a couple people actually in enterprise sales. So, it'll be something unique, but. Uh, Like many, he got his uh, start as a grocery bagger. Before that, actually, he was even, you know, doing lawns and stuff like that. But uh, so his first real job was was bagging groceries. So from bagging groceries to enterprise software sales, uh, net worth of $200,000 at 40 years old, all the way up to 1.8 now uh, in his late 40s. So. It'll be a great episode with him. And without any further delay, let's get in right, right into it with Brian. Brian, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm 48 years old. I'm um, um, originally from the Northeast and now live in Tampa, Florida area. I, uh, you know, currently, right now, I've worked an enterprise uh, sales job for about 18 years. Uh, my wife is a middle school teacher, and uh, we've got uh, two, two teenage daughters. And, uh, Love living here in the Tampa Bay area, and uh, love working from home.
1: Nice. And what is your net worth today?
0: Net worth right now is about one point eight. You know that um, that may fluctuate a little bit with a little bit of market volatility we've seen in the last couple of days, but right around that one point eight number.
1: Nice. Good for you. And how's that broken up?
0: So, um, kind of the breakdown, just kind of going individually through about about seven hundred and fifteen thousand is split between uh, traditional retirement accounts, and that would be. A 401K, um, I max out both my wife's 403B and part of her 457. Uh, she's also got a school retirement plan as well. And so that's that's a big portion of, of our net worth. And we continue to max out both of every retirement vehicle we can find and get our hands on. And the other, uh, the rest of the, the, the allocation would be 75K in Roth IRAs, which I try to backdoor Roth each year over the last three to 40 years because of our income. And then about 140k in a brokerage uh, account, a standard brokerage account. About 400 in home equity. About 150k broke upon a number of syndications and um, a couple of partnerships I've made with some tribes, where we a number of people invest in a number of different types of of uh, properties and units. Uh about 40K in a healthcare savings account, just grasped onto that the last couple years. I think that's probably one of the best investments out there. And I'm gonna continue to fund that um year after year. About 85K for the kids in a 529, uh, 150 in cash, and roughly about 50k in a couple startup companies that I I put some money down on. So a big thing for me is just diversification, right? I mean I uh I like having lots of different revenue streams and kind of continue to grow those and got some pretty aggressive goals over the next, you know, several years.
1: Wow. Yeah. You do have quite the, uh, quite the, the, the balance, if you will, between all these different accounts. So let's start with the money that you have in retirement accounts. When did that all kind of start and how do you have that allocated in there? Is it stock, bonds, et cetera?
0: You bet. So You know, I I dibbled and dabbled in my 20s and 30s. I I certainly um, have made a lot of mistakes. (laughs) And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to come on your show is to kind of let some of your listeners know it's never too late to start. I mean, that's a big thing for me. I I really didn't get serious of this until I was about 40. So most of my net worth has been generated in the last eight years. Um, Just been hyper-focused really tuned into podcasts like yourselves and others and got fired up of the fire movement. I know it was a little bit old and a little bit late, but uh, I wanted to jump on that bandwagon. And uh, so, yeah, so, you know, the splits between these accounts, Jace and, and, and Stacy, you know, mostly S and P mostly, you know, some international, very little bonds. I just figure, um, you know, I can at least have another cycle at, at least in the market before I have to put more allocation in bonds. I'd rather take that risk right now. Um, but yeah, it's kind of an even breakdown. It's probably 80, 80, 10, 10 or something along those lines, you know, 80% in US stocks, whether it be, um, you know, mutual funds through retirement accounts or ETFs that, you know, track the total stock market, you know, 10% international, about 10%, some form of bonds or money market.
1: And how did you arrive at that allocation?
0: You know, just meeting with people, listening. Um, I, I really was a big fan of, uh, um, you know, uh, the simple path to wealth and then not having too many investments. I would say in my 20s and 30s, I thought I was a stockbroker and day trader. And so I would move stuff around all the time in my retirement accounts. And, you know, at the end of the day, I always end up losing. You know, you don't want to move stuff around too much. So I just really was kind of tried and true, you know, starting around 40 to, you know, this pretty simple allocation of just, just invest in the U.S. stocks. They're all international companies in, in their own right minds. Take a little of that risk off by maybe 10% in international and another 10% in bonds and just leave it alone. The whole idea of just, just contribute. Don't change your allocations all the time. Don't rebalance all the time and kind of stick to the, to your guns. And I think you can out, out, obviously outlive a, you know, a down cycle as well by doing that. So I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, a lot of people like to dibble and dabble on individual stocks and. I'm an ETF and mutual fund guy for sure.
1: So if you said that you didn't really get serious about this till you're 40, did you have a 401k plan prior to that that you invested in, just didn't really get serious about it or not at all until you hit 40?
0: I just really wasn't educated about it. You know, the company that I, I'm still, I've been with a company for almost 20 years and we've never had a match, which is probably unheard of. Um, <laughs> so we've never had a company match. So I would never took part of that. And there really wasn't a big push or education to get involved in that. I kind of just, you know, naive and young, just thought, you know, social security will take care of me. And uh, that's obviously uh, the that wishful thinking, I think, at this point. But um, yeah, I, I did put little amounts, but, you know, at the same token, I took some chances. I tried to rental at one point, not doing what I was doing. Had to take a 401k loan. Got caught in the, in the real estate market in 2008 with a property that was worth half of what I paid for it. So I have made my share of mistakes through the way. And, you know, I think that's what also, you know, kind of carved me out for this, this new way of investing. You know, I started to get serious about having kids that are going to have to grow up. I'm going to have to have a house. I want to, I want to make sure my wife is taken care of and I get to want to do the things I want to do. So I had to get pretty serious about it. And I, I, I'll be, I'll attribute it 100% to the internet you know, you think about 20 years ago, there was, there were no podcasts or barely any blogs. There's no books. And now we have so much wealth of knowledge out there that I, I became obsessed for a period of time where I just, I couldn't wait to hear the next one. And one led me to another and down another rabbit hole. And it's just, I think, um, I think investors in this day and age have so much more education than 10, 20, 30 years ago. And I think, uh, you know, I think the younger generation has a great opportunity to build wealth, and that's what excites me too. I love talking to people about it, passionate about it, and I just want to pass my knowledge on. Um, you know, I'm not looking to make a career out of it, but it, it really it's it's a topic that I, I really enjoy discussing with people.
1: When you got serious at 40, what do you think your net worth was then?
0: My net worth at 40, let me see, um, probably two hundred thousand dollars if, if I was lucky. You know, that might even be a little bit high for that period of time. You know, I I had a house, but there was very little equity in it. Didn't really have much for savings. Um, And, you know, my wife and my income at that time, too, was really helpful. I really started to pick up in my career of what I was doing in sales. So I I was relatively inside sales for probably the beginning part of my career. And then once I kind of figured it out, it's probably my late 30s. How I could really, you know, make some great commissions and find good clients, and I got really good at what I was doing. So definitely, it wasn't just my investment smarts at forty; it's it's also my income. My income really started to raise substantially when I af- after I passed forty.
1: Interesting. These altern- alternative investment that you have made. Mm-hmm. You talk to us a little bit about the strategy there and how those have come about.
0: Yeah, I invested in a startup um, of a, a colleague and friend of mine that um, wanted the average investor to have an opportunity at buying like uh, more commercial type opportunities and properties. And it's normally, you know, a lot of these you know larger deals, whether they be commercial buildings or multifamily apartments or um, you know other types of real estate investments. Usually have minimums in the, you know, $250,000, a million dollars, and the average investor can't touch that. So the individual I invested with came up with a system where individuals could get together that had a very like mindset of investing and investing principles and kind of pool your capital together to get into different types of real estate deals. So essentially syndications, but you know, as an individual, you can certainly get into a syndication, but those minimums are minimum 25, 50 and up. And a lot of people don't have that type of money to throw around. So I, I joined a, a couple of groups where we formed LLCs and invest together in multifamily, self storage, um, all types of different, um, opportunities. And, um, so far, so good. You know, it's a, you know, it's a little bit risky. You have to, a lot of them, you have to be an accredited investor. You know, the, the main reason for joining those, Jason, Stacey is just generating passive income. You know, if at some point, you know, you want some streams of income and. There's no better than, you know, you know, those types of assets that provide positive cash flow and an opportunity at appreciation. They certainly come with risk, but it's a great, you know, hedge in my portfolio.
2: Very interesting. I don't know that we've interviewed someone at least recently that that's done something similar. So, who decides what you invest in and how much, how do those decisions get made?
0: So uh, with the, 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 the platform that I'm on, essentially um, helps you assemble all of that, right? So you, you de- kind of just dis- dis- determine who your company is and who the individuals you are with. And within the platform, it helps you set up the LLC, helps take care of taxes, allows a voting system. So what we'll do is we'll vet deals together. So the deals come in, we'll look at this multifamily in Atlanta. It's got so cap rate. You know, we'll team up with, there's a couple other partners that I have that, um, vet a lot of these deals. And there's a couple of blogs and communities that I had joined. So you, you kind of f- start to find the right syndicators that have had history, a good track record. And then we kind of come up with a certain amount of capital we want to invest for the, for the year. And then as those deals come up, um, we decide we all look at them. And then if we have, we have a certain voting rules, if we go forward then we go ahead and place that deal. And, and those deals can be three, five, seven years long.
2: How many people are involved in these uh, basically syndication LLCs that you formed?
0: For, for me personally, or for as um, the universe of people that are maybe within this platform?
2: For for yourself, the ones that you're involved in, are there five have, investors, seven investors, 20? Yeah.
0: The One I'm in, I have six in one and I have 11 in another. So those are the two that I'm on. And then I do some of the syndications that come across that Maybe fit my profile of investing of the certain amount of capital I can pour. I have some individually as well, so I have some as as a group in a company. Two two that I have in particular, and then I have a few handful that I, I do on my own.
2: Interesting. And these are primarily real properties, multifamily.
0: Everything's real property. Everything is a cash flowing asset. Um, like I said, it's either self storage, mobile home parks, car washes is another one, um, but mostly mostly multifamily, but also within my portfolio and in, in how we're aligned as a as a group, not all our properties are in one city or one location or one class level of multifamily. We try to really diversify that diversified portfolio. So if one falls, like we don't lose all of our investment, right? So, you know, because obviously it's so much riskier investment, but the 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 upsides can be a lot more, you know, than a traditional investment. And you know, they're typically done through. Corporations getting a K one, getting those, that information and then, you know, kind of partnering our resources together to vet these deals. So for full transparency in one of our groups this year, the real estate market's gotten wild. You know, the interest rates are high. The cap rates are not the greatest. So we didn't invest as much this year as we did last year. So we're going to kind of look at this on a year to year basis as these groups, but I'm also continuing to vet like individual opportunities as well trying to create that five to seven year kind of cash flow. So when I hit a certain age, you know, hopefully it can it, it can help, you know, supplement and maybe not work full time is is my ultimate goal.
2: So interesting. What is this platform
0: called? A Tribe Vest. T-R-I-B-E-V-E-S-T. T-R-I-B-E-V-E-S-T. Uh, founder's name is Travis Smith. He he's at a lot of the conferences you'll probably see around the country. He's the one that had this brainchild of an idea and it's actually a fascinating story. It was him and his brothers that got together about 12 years ago. They wanted to get a vacation house. He has four brothers. Um, and just to be able to spend time as their families got older, came up with this concept 10 years ago, let's all put in 250 or $500 each. And so that the concept was born literally several years ago. They said, not one of us is going to be able to afford this vacation house for all of our families. But if we pool our resources as a family and brothers, we can do this. and uh, yeah, so he uh, he's a big uh, Indians fan. So I, I know J.C. likes sports, hence the word "the tribe." And, and Tribevest was born, I don't know, four or five years ago.
2: Very interesting. So then, did you join the platform as an angel investor? Then?
0: Yeah, I did. I did. So I was a part of the startup, but I'm also a user as well.
2: Wow. Well, thanks for for sharing <laughs> no, all. The-
0: yeah, no, no problem. It's a great platform. Go check it out. And I'm not trying to plug him or anything. But if you're if you're looking for some way to organize capital, would like. Light- minded people whether it be your friends they actually just launched a um, a new offering called Open Tribes so you can literally go in there and find like hey I want someone that wants to invest x they want to look at the Austin market they're interested in multifamily click a bunch of boxes and it might bring these six people together where you kind of interview each other like do we want to work together and uh you kind of have that opportunity as well that's something relatively new I haven't tapped into that yet but I think it's it's pretty interesting for sure just allowing a common you know, the regular guy to get in some of these big deals that's not sitting on, you know, millions of dollars.
2: Right. Last question about this. So you obviously have pretty varied investments on this platform. How do you go about managing those investments in terms of identifying property managers or making sure that the businesses are running such that you want them to run just the actual day to day of being an investor in each of those?
0: Yeah. So you're really relying on the syndicator. You're not getting involved the in day-to-day. You're not picking out property managers. You're investing in those people that have reputations in the syndication market. And you're just putting your trust in them. You want to vet that they've had successful deals, look into their history, their track record, um, how fast their funds fill up, essentially. And then just you're going to have to make an educated guess. Do you want to work with these guys? And um, that's kind of how you go about it. But you're not getting... There's no day-to-day the only thing that's not passive is really studying the deals, meeting with your group of people to decide, you know, if you want to get in on this deal or not. And, you know, we've 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 probably passed on more deals than deals we've gotten in because there's, you know, everyone's out there just promoting, hey, we're gonna have huge returns and appreciation, and now now the wall's kind of hitting, right? So the, the the real estate market's in a little trouble with eight percent thirty year fixed mortgages. So I think it's going to slow down a little bit, but it'll weed out the to the true providers that are really good at what they do and how they underwrite deals.
2: Well, I'd love to go back to to uh, I know we talked about that turning point at forty, but I had a question when when you and Jace were working through this. So when you made that decision to really invest. <laughs> In your financial future, did you change your lifestyle at all at that point, or was your uh, was your income high enough that you didn't really have to, and it was just about putting it away in a in a in a certain way?
0: Yeah, I would say our lifestyle definitely changed. We were more cognizant of what we spent money on. We were seeing things, you know, finally starting to grow, realizing that we did need savings. And I would say I don't think my lifestyle was ever too wild. I didn't have a lot of money to spend, but when I came into it, I definitely started to hang on to a lot more and realize. Quickly, like the only way to get wealthy is not by a job. It's also by investing is how you're going to create wealth. So I kind of, like I said, I kind of caught a bug and then, you know, then you start to look at every dollar a little bit differently when you spend it. So, um, I, we still didn't stop living our lives by any means. We're huge fans of vacations and family and experience. Um, and that's increased over the time as well. Um, but yeah, we, I, I would say there was a, there was a pretty big shift of like being really cognizant of what we spent our dollars on.
2: Was your wife on board with this? Was she involved in in this uh, this big coming to the realization of how do we prepare for our future? How, what kind of role did did you guys play as a she team? Was
0: definitely um involved. She's definitely um, not the ringleader when it comes to this. She wants me to just take the reins and run with it. She trusts me. You know, um, like I said, we use most of her salary just in retirement. But you know we've got an equal balance of, of family and responsibilities. Um, you know, we do like a kind of like a monthly check in and I'll I'll show her all my spreadsheets and all that kind of stuff. And she's maybe not as interested as I am. I like kind of breaking things down really kind of really granular. And I love I love personal capital and spreadsheets. And But she's not into it as much as me. She just tells me, do we have enough to do what we want to do? And, and she's pretty happy with it. So she rolls with the punches for sure.
2: Sounds like we'd be a great couple to go to dinner with.
0: Let's do it. <laughs> all right, let's do it.
2: I can relate. I can relate to Jay's being very into the spreadsheets. And I'm like, sorry, what <laughs> can you
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I'm I'm about spreadsheets <laughs> a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, we made X dollars and 22 cents a day. And I'm like, I'm going to try to double that next year. And she's like, just that she couldn't wrap her head around. Like, you're measuring daily how much you're making in passive income. I'm like, absolutely. We got to get that number bigger. We got to work on it.
2: I think, I, have, I think every year we've been married, I hear we got to make more money. We got to make more money.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: So, uh, looking forward, you've said that you'd love to kind of work your way out of your out of your day job. Mm-hmm. When's the time? What's the What's the mark that you feel comfortable walking away
0: yeah, from a dollar standpoint? Or, you know, I'm, I love what I do for a living. I love my job. I don't. I don't. I don't think I'll ever stop doing it. The question is, is can I cut back on it? Can I work as an independent? You know, I look at things like that. I love. I love every facet of my job. I just don't want it is pretty stressful and it's overwhelming and so I think you're going to have to turn that switch off a little bit and in an ideal world you know I would you know be controlling what I'm doing probably no later than 55 would would be my my exit time but my goal is 4 million is what I'm what I'm aiming for I think that would be plenty enough to fund our lifestyle you know pretty much for the rest of our lives I don't know if I'll stop my wife from working um she's a little bit younger than I am and and she loves her job so um, I'll let her continue and, and as long as she wants. And you know that also helps fund our healthcare and other things in our retirement. So uh, I'm not going to say no to not working and bringing in more wealth. I think I'm going to have a hard time getting out of that accumulation phase, as they call it, you know, and turning the switch to be like, what do you mean? I'm just going to spend it. But uh, one, of, one of my favorite books recently was that, uh, uh, I forget the author's name, Die With Zero, uh, Bill Perkins. That, that's a very interesting book and a concept of, you know, you got to spend the, some of the money while you're younger. You don't want it to be just sitting there when you get old and, and not, not live your life. So we're a big fan of lots of travel, lots of experience, you know, took my girls, to Taylor Swift. I mean, we love to do stuff like that with the family, and create those memories, because I think those memory dividends are, are what you're going to remember, not how many dollars you have in your bank account.
1: For sure. So as, as you've Gotten more wealthy and and income has increased. Have you had any lifestyle inflation?
0: Yeah, I'd say, yeah. I mean, we upgraded our house, we bought a much bigger house, but nothing crazy, Uh, definitely more reasonable. I would say, you know, just as the kids get older, I think it's natural that your spend goes up. Everything costs more the sports, the going out to dinner, their friends, their camps. So I'd say it's a lifestyle increase, but I think it just comes with the times, right? Like if you live in a, you know, we're probably in, I'd say, a middle, class maybe, maybe not high definitely more on the middle side but you know with that comes you know seems to be spending more money you know but we we definitely travel more than we, we you know when we were 40 we didn't go anywhere when the kids were younger other than you know you know your your amusement parks and things like that but now we're starting to go a little bit further outside the box and kind of travel the whole country and, and hopefully the world here soon.
1: That's awesome. Does your family and friends know of your wealth?
0: I'd probably say no, a couple friends for sure because a couple of my friends we talk about this topic a lot. I know my my, my I'm sure my family or my parents know I'm, I'm doing pretty well, but I, I don't know to what extent. Probably not.
1: Is there a specific number or Passive income goal that you're really trying to strive for?
0: It changes all the time. The Gold Coast just keep on moving. Just because the prices, everything seems to be so expensive. Uh, I don't know what what happened to our, our country where it costs like fifteen dollars to go out for a fast food lunch for an individual. But um, no, I think it keeps. I, I don't know what that specific number is. I think I, I'll continue to hone in on that number. I mean, I, I think we're you know ten, twelve thousand dollars a month is something that we're going to need. Um, you know, the biggest, the, the challenge is going to be, you know, that 55 to 62 gap when you can't really, you know, redeem much for social security, Medicare, or, you know, you'll rob from your, your 401k. So that, those bridge years are going to be something I'm going to be hyper focused on making sure I get my after tax accounts, like my brokerage and stuff up to par. And I can start to do some, some, uh, some Roth conversions. So. Um, yeah, I think uh, that's probably what'll keep me working until fifty five because I want to I want to make sure I certainly have enough to be able to afford to do whatever we want to do.
1: You threw out Roth conversions there. Do you want to I- explain your strategy or plan with with what you're going to do there?
0: Well, I mean, the, I guess the goal is right. If you're if if you're fifty five and say I'm really starting to take a step back from work, right, and my income goes from you know a, a decent you know high figure salary and, and commission. Um, income down to a very nominal number. Maybe I'm making you know 40, 50 to6 $60,000 or something a year. Doing those conversions in years where um, you're making little income can be extremely beneficial to you. So you're moving that, you know that, that you know it would be a 401k, but I'd have it moved to a traditional Roth. and then each year I would move over you know a decent amount of that 401k or Roth or I'm um, sorry, RA savings. And then, you know, take the tax hit when your tax bracket's much lower. If you're starting to do any of those conversions now or when you're younger or making good money, I mean, you're paying some serious, you know, taxes, 30, 35, 40 percent. If you do it right and you do it strategically, and this is probably where I'll bring in an advisor that really is specific to tax. I mean, it's one thing to... Make a lot of money, but it's more important to keep it so legally, and um, you know. So that's definitely one thing I'm going to be focused on is Roth conversions. I think the Roth product and the HSA product are the best things that we've got going. You know, the fact that they grow tax-free, especially the HF's HSA with the triple tax benefit. Um, I don't think there's anything better out there in terms of growing you know your net worth over a long period of time, not knowing what taxes are going to be. Um, when we retire, or the future, I don't think anyone knows, but my guess is that they'd have to be higher. So, um, you know, just based on having 33 trillion in debt in this country. So, I don't think taxes are going to go down substantially anytime soon. So, I think the more money you can get into your Roth or HSA, it's a really smart move, regardless of your age.
1: Do you invest your HSA money?
0: I do. I invest all of it. Um, I keep all the receipts. I've never cashed it a penny just because I feel like if I can pay that out of pocket now, why not let that HSA grow? I'm a big fan of lively, which is, uh, it's a product, um, an HSA product that allows you to connect Charles Schwab brokerage. So you're not paying any fees or anything. So you can invest just like stocks or mutual funds or ETFs. And so, um, yeah, I, uh, I'm a big fan of that. Just having, you know, a Charles Schwab HSA that, you know, that's not through my company. Um, I've done it individually, but we do the max and we've done the max, I think, for the last five years, four or five years as a family. Um and uh yeah, I've been really, really happy with that and the growth of that. And um and I'm really happy too. They came out with a new uh oh no, this is the five twenty nines. I'm mixing two things up. Sorry about that.
1: That's all right. Let's talk 529s. I, right, so, I don't
2: know if don't leave it was in the dark.
0: Yeah, the 529s made me really excited. I, you know, I, I feel my uh, my family's my kids are going to go to school, but if they don't, I'm always nervous. If you have all this money, what do you do with it? And you could potentially get taxed on it, which no one's going to want that. You'd be taxed on all your gains and a penalty, I believe. But this year the the IRS made a ruling. I don't know all don't hold me to the facts of this, but Um, 15 years, as long as it's settled for 15 years and you've had that, you know, 529. I know you guys have young kids, so this is what you do. If, if they get to the point where they decide to go, you know, work at a trade school or not go to college or have those, those expenses, you can transition up to $35,000 into a Roth IRA in your child. Not to you. Can't be your Roth, but you can transfer up to $35,000 to their Roth. So you can have a really good opportunity if they don't go to college or you don't use all their money to really set your kids up for, for retirement at a very early age. There's a pretty cool uh, law that just came out. I was pretty excited to hear about that. So in the event they don't go to college or spend all the money, you can move over a portion of that to their personal uh, retirement accounts.
1: Don't tell them that. They might not go to college if they know they're going to be at $35,000 real quick, right? They don't have to
0: know about it, Chase. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Don't let them know, right? Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Fact,
0: they'll be spending it. They got to keep it there. Save it for retirement. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So let's, let's play a little game real quick. Hypothetically speaking, Brian walks into another quarter million dollars unexpectedly. How does that get allocated, spent, used, et cetera? What would you do?
0: I think I'd follow pretty much the same model. What I'm telling you, obviously it would be after tax, right? So I think a big portion of it would be in cash at this point. I mean, I I feel like, you know, we're in a really awkward time. You can get 5% in the bank. Are you kidding me? You know, I'd probably do 50 to 100,000 in the bank, probably do anywhere between 50 and $100 cost averaged over probably a year's period of time, maybe 2,000 a month. Going into my, you know, my brokerage and then probably 50 of that out of the 250 would go into more syndications. So kind of spread it out, not throw it all in at once and just let it over time just to see, um, you know, how things go, you know, over the next year, depending if it came in today, I might even have an higher allocation in cash to be honest with you.
1: Are you spending any of it?
0: No, I have everything I need right now. Maybe, uh, maybe, a, maybe a little bit of money on a vacation. You know, um, we're, we're pretty much covered in in our normal day-to-day items we got you know we have nice cars we have uh we have uh you know plenty of small experiences that we do i don't think there's no major expense maybe if i ask my wife she'd tell me we we need to change the carpets or do something inside the house or something like that i'm sure she'd find a way to say hey we need new tile or new shower
2: she's got a way yep
0: yeah, and she could and i'd be happy to support it you know so uh we were fortunate enough to get a new house about seven years ago so we're, you know some of the stuff's getting a little tired so I try to do most of it myself. I'm kind of cheap, but um, you know, I'm sure we could splurge on a thing or two.
2: <laughs> so you've mentioned the five twenty nines for your kids. Yep. What else are you doing to teach your kids about building wealth? Is there anything else that you're doing?
0: Well, I mean, I both I got them both debit cards, which I I really like the fact that you know this this next generation is not going to have cash. There's just everyone's going to live off a card, so why not get them used to it right off the bat? I also like the fact that I can track all their purchases, which is great. Anytime they swipe their card, I get a little text message. So that's kind of nice that that happens. But yeah, they can see how fast it goes too. And I said, you you can't live off of Starbucks. You're going to, you guys are, you guys are, you're going to be done. You're wasting, you know, that kind of money, but that's one area. Um, one of the other things that here in the state of Florida that they started to do, um, in high school, this is, I don't know why this wasn't a thing when, when I grew up or earlier generations is, you have to take a financial literacy class in the state of Florida to pass high school. And my daughter got to take it in ninth grade and she would bring some of her homework home. And I was like a geek. She'd be talking about how, you know, how you apply for a mortgage and what's an interest rate? And what's compounding interest? And I'm like, where was this <laughs> when I went to school? Because I probably would have been a lot further along than right now, but I really like the fact I think that's something that should be done nationwide. Um, you know, you can go to. You know, you go all the way through college and no one knows how to do a checkbook or what some of these financial products are, and they all get stuck in credit card debt. I was a victim of that myself. And I think, you know, the fact that you can get this early education is only going to be helpful uh, for this next generation. I'm always
2: curious, parents who have older kids, what the approach is on what's the kid's responsibility to pay for uh, or allowance, or what's your approach in terms of uh, teaching them how to work for what they have, or are they busy, you know, and and you kind of, well, we'll save that for a little later.
0: I I swear every time we think we have a plan, we break it. So I, I don't have a strict plan. We do have allowance. They do have some chores, but there's always something that falls outside the line. Like, oh, do we need to buy this shirt for volleyball club? Or oh, we, we need to get this because so and so's friends here, and so we make exceptions all the time. I mean, we try to stick to an allowance, but it's it's difficult. It's it's just really difficult. Um, you know, um, we we they definitely earn their keep around here, but there's often times that we go out of bounds. It's just very difficult to do. We don't go overboard, but at the same token, I, I don't have a we don't have we're not. I, I you could always learn <laughs> from other parents, and everyone does it differently. So I you know it. it Our, um, you know, I would say mostly, you know, allowance is mostly what they live off. I see their bank accounts on a daily basis. So, um, you know, we try to keep them in the line. But, yeah, when it comes to other things like Stace, like, you know, mostly some of the clothing and stuff like that, yeah, we take care of most of it, you know, as long as it's not too out of control, right? And so we'll we'll try to keep the number of uh, trips to Target limited um, is my, my goal with my wife because somehow something finds you in that store every time I... I, I come home and I'm like, we we really needed that the shower curtain? I'm like, why well, it looks nice, it's got a palm tree on it, but it just that store has such great marketing that they just they just take your money. They know what they you, you need it when you walk in. You had no idea what you walked in there for, but you walked out with something that you definitely couldn't live without. So I try to we try to limit those trips around here. I like lists. It's
1: not an thing. It's ten things. I know. Uh,
2: Jason's confused. He's like, "How come it's always forty dollars or more every time you go to Target for one thing?" I'm like, "Well, because oh, I also it, needed wipes and."
0: Yeah, I don't. I think it's they're that good, and it's just too tempting. I think for mo- for most people, I'm not a huge fan of retail stores. I, I kind of stick to you know the Amazon world. But, um, you know, uh, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, um, it's, it's difficult for sure. And especially when everything's so expensive now, dude.
2: Well, the the good news is curbside's always safer because you know things jump in the cart that you forgot that you also needed.
0: Yeah. Stay out of the trap. Yep.
1: That's awesome. Well, let's wrap up with some rapid fire questions. What's the most expensive pair of shoes that you've ever purchased?
0: Expensive pair of shoes say about 90 bucks, uh, a pair of Rockport's business shoes for business meetings. That's probably about the most I've ever spent on shoes.
1: You're not even using those working from home anymore, right?
0: <laughs> no, I travel. I travel a bit. I work from home, but I get to travel a lot. So
1: Okay. Okay. Just putting on the Rockport's every now and again. Yeah. What about the most expensive uh, meal out that you've paid for?
0: Well, if it's personal probably be about $120 if it's business. I mean, those can get expensive, four or five, $600 is not uncommon if you have six people and you go to a nice restaurant. So, but again, I I might be expensing that. So that's, I guess that's really not my cost.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, What's a key lesson you learned from childhood?
0: Oh, key lesson, my father, my father started us young. I mean, we worked like we were 10 or 11 years old on a farm. And so he did it with my sisters too. We just take care of this lady's property. And, uh, you know, I really instilled the fact that my dad, you know, essentially had a side hustle. So he worked a full-time job and, you know, he worked every Saturday at this farm and he would drag us along there. We, we learned how to make a few bucks there that then turned into shoveling driveways. And the next thing I knew, I was, I was selling candy in middle school and figured out, hey, I can make a profit off of this. And so my parents were always supportive of whatever I tried. My mom would bring me to uh, a wholesale candy place and I could sell stuff for double. I quickly figured out, man, you know, it's really supply and demand. If people really want it, they'll pay for it. And so I think that helped me with sales for sure. And that was a huge lesson to both of my parents for supporting, teaching me, you know, how to work hard.
1: Okay. What has been the most memorable trip or experience that you've done?
0: Uh, that's an easy one. So we did a, um, it was in 2017. Um, we went in the summer, we, we did a 19-day trip. We we flew into Denver and went all the way to Las Vegas, driving about 3,200 miles, <laughs> stayed in a ton of hotels and visited six national parks. And that, that trip, we saw more animals, more of the West than we could have ever imagined for. And if I could have those days back of that trip again, I would. So kids were good in the car at that age. And uh, man, we saw a lot of great things. So for us, it's like, you know, those types of trips. That's probably my most memorable trip. It's, and probably in particular, Yellowstone National Park sure.
1: How much do you think that cost?
0: That was probably about $12,000. It was a very expensive vacation. By the time you figure out food, hotel, lodging, driving, flying, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was it was a very pricey trip for us.
1: Okay. Do you have anything on the horizon?
0: On the horizon, um, we are going to go... We, we've not, I've, I've been to the Caribbean, I've been to Canada, I've been to other... But I have not been to Europe. And uh, next October, we're going to go to Spain with a of our neighbors, so I'm pretty excited about that, and uh, yeah, that that should be nice. I gotta get I gotta get out of my comfort zone. You know, I've, I've seen most of the U.S. I think I've been to 48 states, so it's time it's time for me to to go otherwise other places.
1: Good for you. What was your first job?
0: I was a bagger at a grocery store. A Very really exciting job. I think my pay was 4.55 an hour, and I got wow. like a 10 minute break. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So I remember the paper paychecks though. Oh yep, Uh, a bagger of groceries. That's what was my first job. Nice. That's the first job on the book. Selling candy and shoveling driveways and mowing (laughs) lawns. You know, that was definitely my first experience at real work.
1: That's awesome. What's the uh, craziest thing you've ever done to earn money?
0: Craziest thing done to earn money. It might be selling candy in school. I mean, I think you'd probably be shied away from that as a as a teenager these days, right? Um, So I, I would say that. You know, the fact that I figured out wholesale pricing. And it was kind of wild that I would just walk in there and be able to walk the halls and and sell candy and make make a decent amount of money. You know, nothing else really pops in my head. Everything's been relatively traditional. I've worked a lot of hospitality and in retail and in sales jobs, but nothing too crazy to make money. Maybe flipping baseball cards. How's that? So when I was younger, I used to be really good at finding baseball cards in one place and selling them for more money in the next
1: one. Okay, nice. Uh, what's the most fun you've had with money?
0: Just experiences and travel. Those those experiences with family. There's nothing like it. You know, you, you get your whole family out there. You see these bucket list places all across this great country. And um, you know, we have the pictures to prove it and the memories to prove it. And to me, that's 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 what I want to focus and spend my money on is experiences. We're not we're not really materialistic people. Just not really into having lots of stuff. To be honest with you, if I had a choice, and my wife and I have talked to this, I'd rather be a minimalist. I want less stuff now. The older I get, I want less stuff to have to worry about or do. I just want more experiences.
1: Okay, what's a closely held belief that you once had that you recently changed? Closely held belief
0: that I that you can't really spend money. <laughs> I think might be one that kind of comes to my mind. You know, I mean, for a while between those years, you know, outside of some vacation stuff, you didn't spend money. But that book, as I mentioned. Um, really kind of changed my mindset of like, you can't climb Mount Everest at 65. So if you're going to try to do it, you better do it now when you're healthy. So I think, you know, I think that's one mindset that's changed. As I've gotten older, I realized there's no reason to hold on to all of your money and you need to use it on experience so you can do that, you know, kind of model where you're at in in, in your stage of life. So knowing that, you know, I think do the things that you want to do. If you want to go surfing, you shouldn't try it. Probably when you're seventy for the first time, probably not going to work out too well. <laughs> so we're starting to do more and more stuff for sure.
1: What's what is a financial habit that has changed, if any, since you became a millionaire? I
0: don't know about a financial habit, I mean, I, I probably look at my finances too much, right? Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm, a, I'm close to obsessed, right? Like I look at these things all the time, and and it's for a, it's for multiple reasons. It's not just how much money I have. I'm also at the same time a nervous wreck that you know you get fraud or something happens on an account, I probably, one of the habits is I probably check into things too much, right? Too often, um, probably more than I should or need to. But in this day and age, we live in a crazy internet world. And I just want to make sure someone doesn't take what I've earned.
1: Awesome. Any last pieces of advice for somebody who's just starting out?
0: No, just 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 put your mind to it and keep it simple. And, and you know, invest, you know, um, as much as you can. You know, and, and and don't change your allocations, stick to it, get, get a plan together, stick with it for a long period of time. It doesn't mean that you have you can't change, but I, I think be, people will be much better off if they come up with an allocation they're happy with and do it for 10 or 20 years if you're in your 20s or 30s, you know, um, and, and don't be a day trader. And, and, you know, you need to take risk when you're younger, but I think that risk could also just be by staying the course that could be the right way. And, and I think you could benefit handsomely if you just stay the course. So, you know, if I had to change things, that would be one of them. I made a lot of mistakes financially. When I was younger, it didn't stay the course and changed a lot. And I think I would have had a much better outcome if I just stayed, you know, kind of stayed steady.
1: Awesome. as Brian with a net worth of $1.8 million. Thanks for coming on the show today.
0: Thanks so much, Jay Stacy. It was a pleasure meeting you both. And thank you guys so much for all the content you put out. i probably listened to almost close to all 300 300 plus now. So really appreciate it. It's, it's just so, so enlightening that any one of these stories you listen to, you always pick something up, a nugget from one of the users and such a great product you guys have. Really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday
2: millionaire.